I got my own little gift. I love M&M's. Well, yeah, I mean, I was, we were out there actually yesterday and we were taking the bags of eggs out there and getting them in the lawn prepared for, you know, the vacuum cleaner and kids to come and pick them up, which happens, you know, in like 45 seconds. You lay out 3,000 eggs and it takes an hour to do it and 45 seconds or less. I mean, the vacuum cleaner has come through and picked them all up. But as we were laying out some eggs, every once in a while, one of the eggs will break open. And I felt as I was handing out eggs, laying them out there on the grass, if one did break open and one did in my bag, it was my duty to eat what was in the egg. And in that particular egg, there were some M&Ms. So there were some jewelry and some other eggs, and maybe some little girls enjoyed the jewelry, but I told Lori, I'd be happy with M&Ms. And here they are. So thank you for the Easter gift. Indeed, I'll have them here. Don't nobody touch them. They're going to be mine right there later, okay? All right. Well, the children have left, and they're going to have their time of word. But for us, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe in miracles? You know, when you think about that phrase, and a lot of us answered immediately yes, but those words, do you believe in miracles, was voiced many years ago by a sportscaster named Al Michaels. In 1980, as the men's U.S. hockey team successfully and surprisingly defeated the Soviet Union towards the end of the game when it looked like, yes, the United States were going to secure the victory, Al Michaels went down in history and said, do you believe in miracles? And for many at that time, they truly believed that was a miracle because there's no one that gave the chance for the Youngest hockey team in U.S. history to ever go against the Soviet Union, the dynamite, the powerful house of the Soviet Union, their, their hockey is known. And no one ever gave the United States a chance to beat United, I mean, Russia, let alone finally make it to the gold medal round where the United States did win the gold medal against Finland days after. No one thought that was a possibility. So for many people, as it happened that we defeated Russia, landing into the final game against Finland, they thought, yes, our Michaels is right. That indeed is a miracle. But was that truly a miracle? As we think about miracles, is our idea of a miracle when an underdog sports team wins the championship, is that truly a miracle? Because in my mind, as I begin to process what I consider a miracle, I don't think that the victory, as wonderful as it was for us back in 1980 to defeat the Soviet Union during the Cold War time, that that was a miracle. In my mind, it's not a miracle. I mean, not to discount it. I mean, yes, it was an amazing, unexpected accomplishment. But to me, it's not a miracle. So I begin to question, well, what then is a miracle? And here's how someone would define a miracle. First of all, it tells us a miracle is a highly improbable or extraordinary event, a development or accomplishment, 
that brings very welcome consequences. A second definition, one I prefer more than the first, is that it's a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. As you think about those definitions that you see behind me of a miracle, I look upon the first and going back again to the victory by the hockey team back in 1980, I could think that the first definition maybe directly refers to what happened with our victory against Russia and ultimately the gold medal that happened against the Finland hockey team that led to some great, improbable, extraordinary event that occurred. But to me, that's still not a miracle. I mean, I believe a miracle is an act of God, an event, a happening that leaves absolutely no doubt that a divine intervention has occurred. To me, a miracle is when there's no chance, no possibility. A miracle is when something is so impossible that it just happens. There's, there's no explanation other than God acting and making his presence known at that particular moment. To me, that's a miracle. A miracle is, you know, turning water into wine. You know, a miracle is restoring the sight of a blind man. A miracle is allowing a lame man that has never taken a step to walk for the first time. A miracle that occurred, obviously, during times of the Bible and Scripture is the healing of leprosy. It was a dreaded, awful disease. When lepers were cured, that was a miracle. A miracle is the raising of a man from the dead, such as Lazarus. A miracle is a virgin giving birth, as it was with our Lord. And a miracle, of course, is the fact that the tomb is empty, that Christ has risen. The miracle that we actually celebrate today, that Christ has defeated death, that he has risen. To me, those are true miracles. One commentary I was looking at in preparation for this morning said a miracle is a divine intervention that transcends what is normally perceived as natural law. And so to say it cannot be explained upon any natural basis. Pure Flix makes a lot of great Christian movies. It's a Christian-based movie company founded by David White. He has a film he's putting together that's going to talk about miracles. So he defines and describes a miracle in the preparation of this next movie as this. He says, the inexplicable events that cannot be explained through scientific means. In the faith world, would many attribute these events simply to the Lord. He gives an example in his preparation, this new movie coming out. An example is called A Mysterious Voice. It says, in March of 2015, police officer Tyler Beddoes arrived at the scene of a car that had overturned into a body of water. That particular day, it was frigid, it was cold, it was bitter, as then also was the water. 
But Bedos knew that he had to dive in and look for any possible survivors. As his team dove into the water and approached the sinking car, they heard an adult female voice very calmly saying, Help me. Help me. The voice guided the rescuers to the car to help, to help whoever was calling to make it out alive. But when the team arrived to the car, there was a woman. There was a woman deceased, but an 18-month-old baby was in a back seat, still alive. The voice helped rescue that baby. All the rescue team proudly proclaimed that that was a modern-day miracle in March of 2015. Now, that's really some kind of miracle, isn't it? It's a story that can send chills down us as we hear that miracle that happened with that child, unfortunate for perhaps the mother. But still, the baby was able to survive. But that's not the only kind of modern-day miracles that occur. I mean, a miracle still to me in modern day is still the birth of a child. That is a miracle. A miracle also is a friend calling or texting just at the right moment to prevent a possible suicide. A miracle is a recovering addict. A miracle is someone defeating cancer. A miracle is someone surviving an automobile accident. We sometimes take those kind of things for granted, but I see them as miracles. And we could go on and list many more like that. In fact, many people in this room can stand up and shout out that they had a miracle in their life of that nature. And sometimes we discount that because we think that that particular miracle is not as grand as the one we heard that Pure Fix is making a movie on called The Mysterious Voice. But I see them still as a miracle. I mean, are they still not an act of God? Was there still not some divine intervention at that moment? I say yes. Now today, of course, we celebrate one of the greatest miracles of all time. I mean, it's arguably that maybe the resurrection is right up there with the virgin birth as the greatest miracles of all time. And yes, that would be absolutely positively true. There are great miracles that occur. And it's so easy for us to go to the scripture today and completely recount and retell everything happening to the fact that Christ has risen. But today we recognize the fact that Christ has risen. We recognize that as one of the greatest miracles of all time. But we don't retell the story. We recognize that has occurred. We are blessed to know the tomb is empty. I've personally seen it, been to Israel, can testimony and testify to you, yes, it is empty. But we don't go back and retell and recount that story today. In fact, what we do is return to a different miracle hero. Some may think of a lesser miracle. One is almost not even looked upon Scripture as a miracle, but still is. It's in Matthew chapter 17. We choose this one today because the Lord put this on my heart weeks ago. We'll reveal perhaps a bit later why he put it on my heart because I think today somebody needs to hear this. 
and he prepared us today to hear this message. It's Matthew chapter 17. It's a miracle that may be in some estimation, like I mentioned, a less than miracle, but it's a miracle nonetheless that allows us to analyze ourselves in our current lives and to see how we can still be faithful. Because sometimes our faith begins to waver. So the message today allows us to consider how faith pertains to miracles. We'll explain a bit later as we get into the message time. But stand with me this morning, if you're able to do so, as we simply stand to honor the reading of the word. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 17, and we're landing now in the 14th verse of the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to read through verse 20, and here's what Matthew says in his Gospel beginning in chapter 17, in verse 14, he says, when they, we'll explain they in just a moment, when they came to the crowd, a man came up to him, that's our Lord Jesus, and kneeling before him said, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has seizures and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. And I brought him to your disciples and they could not heal him. Verse 17, Jesus answered, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus then rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Well, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? He, Jesus, said to them in verse 20, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Father, we thank you today, Lord, for this moment that we can come together freely upon this day, recognizing, the Lord, that you conquered death that Christ has truly risen. What a celebration for us today, Resurrection Sunday. But Lord, today we turn our attention to a text in which can help us today link together perhaps faith and that of a miracle. So Lord, we just ask that you'll bless this time, that you'll anoint this time, Lord, that you'll allow your spirit to lead and guide and direct us, that the words be expressed and said here today would not be my words, but the words you want us to hear, Lord, today. So we thank you in advance for what shall happen here today, what we shall learn, and what we shall apply. We thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, as ordinarily our custom before we apply the text, we'll have some briefly explain this textual situation in which we find Matthew writing at this particular moment. So again, we're in Matthew chapter 17, and we jump down to verse 14. But if you noted that prior to verse 14, preceding where we started today, is something called the transfiguration. Jesus takes his inner circle, the inner circle, if you will, of himself, Peter, James, and John, up upon a mountain. And the transfiguration occurs, and Matthew records it. Of course, the transfiguration is the fact that Jesus is going to shine brightly and have Elijah and Moses to appear. We pick up the reading a little bit in Matthew 17, verses 2 and 3. It says, He, 
that's Jesus, was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them, the disciples was with them, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. They saw Moses and Elijah talking with him. So notice this is what's preceding the account we begin to read today. As that is happening, for those who are in the inner circle with Jesus, this is an extraordinary moment. It would be for any of us to see this particular happening. And so with that moment unfolding right before them, well, very elated. I mean, Peter speaks up in verse 4, and he wants to like erect a tent or monument for the occasion. He says in verse 4, let us do this, Lord, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. However, Jesus rebuked such an offer and told the inner circle to keep it all to themselves. That's before we get to the text that we begin in verse 14. So verse 14 picks up the next day. So the next day we find then Jesus in his inner circle, which would be Peter, James, and John, coming down from the mountain. And as they come down from the mountain, they encounter a scene of confusion. It can seem not much unlike what perhaps happened when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai upon his descent and seen the people. At this moment when Jesus comes down with Peter, James, and John, the text tells us a great crowd has gathered. And they seem to be a little stirred up. In fact, in Mark's gospel, he tells of the same situation, but Mark tells of a great crowd and describes arguing with the disciples who had, been on the, who had not been on the mountain of Jesus. It's in Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 16. Now, I'm not going to read them, but notice in verse 16 that when Mark tells the story, he also reveals to us that indeed the argument is occurring. So as it's happening, they come down to the confusion, the chaos. Jesus asked them then, what are you arguing about? Well, what are they arguing about? They're arguing about the fact that the disciples' failure to heal the epileptic boy. Which then leads us back into our text in Matthew chapter 17. We go back to verses 14 through 18. And as you go back to look at those verses, observe that the father of the boy then comes to Jesus and then knelt before him, explaining the entire situation. Verse 15, he says, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, and he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire, and often then also into the water. I mean, see, the boy suffers from his condition, and occasionally falls and does himself harm. The man knows this is his father. He naturally wants to heal the child, help him, and brings him to the disciples. Jesus on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. But the disciples could not heal the child. Which then seems somehow, if you look into the text, at least the way I read it, seems to annoy Jesus just a little bit. Look again at verse 17. As it's happening, Jesus answered, Oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him here to me. To me, Jesus' response is interesting. 
scholars look upon the response and sometimes debate about it, his response. And they, they, they mean, to me, it's obvious discussed, but sometimes they debate about the response being directed at the disciples or the crowd who had gathered. Again, he says, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? You can almost, as I read it, a little bit of disgust maybe in the voice of our Lord. But did it direct it at the disciples or did it direct it at just the crowd? Well, the scholar Craig Blomberg believes that comment by our Lord was directed directly to the disciples. He says, in his disgust, Jesus rebukes the disciples as if they were part and parcel of the whole wicked generation of those who rejected him. He says the line, maybe at that moment, between the disciples and the crowds is blurred. You know, Blomberg makes a great observation for us to apply briefly and rather quickly. His observation, as I think about it, tells us an application that our faith should not falter at the first sign of trouble. I mean, faith that quickly relapses could be indicative of maybe no faith at all. Or faith that some describe as defective or simply ineffective. That's a quick application. We'll come back to that in a moment. But moving on, notice that Jesus then, of course, he commanded the boy to come to him. Disciples couldn't do it. Just bring the boy here. And what happens? They bring the boy to Jesus, and Jesus instantly heals the boy in verse 18. Immediately. The demon's gone. He doesn't have the problem. He's been healed. That's a miracle. Disciples then are perplexed or confused. They come to Jesus in verse 19 and say, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Which then leads Jesus to reply once more, about their faith or the lack thereof in verse 20. Look at it once more. He said, Then because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Notice here, if you will, that the disciples' faith is now not really maybe an absence of faith, if it was before, but now just a little faith. Interestingly, Michael Wilkins, the scholar, believes disciples always had their faith, but their faith was truly just described correctly as ineffective or defective. He explains this. He said, the generation of Israel at that time is unbelieving having no faith, as mentioned in verse 17, chapter 17, because as a whole it had not repented and believed Jesus as the Messiah. These disciples do have faith in Jesus and his mission. But here, at this moment, their faith is not functioning properly. Therefore, he describes it as a defective faith. Well, then Wilkins also brings up another rather interesting point as it pertains to our faith. Remember, we mentioned just a moment ago that faith that quickly relapses could be indicative of no faith or maybe of ineffective faith. But how now about little faith? I mean, is little faith 
also described or correctly noted as ineffective faith? Or maybe apply it more personally to us. Is the faith that we have, that we possess, that we claim we have, is our faith described in such a way? Is our faith similar? Does it begin to waver at the first moment of trouble in our lives? Could it be described as ineffective faith? You know, to answer the question and the observation by Wilkins that we're beginning to apply, we must go back and notice that Jesus, I mean, he may have been a little perturbed earlier with his disciples. But it appears, though, even in the matter he might be a little disgusted at the reaction in the moment, it appears now he just intends to make this a little bit of a learning moment. And, and, and he quickly adds then that they all need, we all need true real, effective faith in the equivalent of a mustard seed. Look again at verse 20. Because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus tells the disciples at this moment, when maybe their faith could be described as defective or ineffective, no or little faith, he takes a moment to tell them they need to have the faith of the size of a mustard seed. The size of a mustard seed. Do you know how big a mustard seed is? It's not very big at all. A mustard seed happens to be the smallest seed of a seed. You see the little hand behind me holding that little mustard seed? That's roughly one to two millimeters. Now, I don't do millimeters, okay? I mean, I can look at a tape measure and pretty quickly find out what a sixteenth is, but I don't do millimeters. So a mustard seed, if you're holding it in your hand, like you see the picture behind me, that is the equivalent of 0 .039 to 0 .079 inches. We still may not understand that. But just know this, it's extremely small. It's a very small seed. If I didn't have my glasses, I couldn't even see the thing, all right? That's how small it is. So he tells the disciples this is the amount of faith they need. He, he further tells them, if you have this much faith, you can tell this mountain to move from here to there, and there it goes. Because nothing will be impossible for you. I'm beginning to kind of process all of that, and I'm thinking, I'm a little confused here. I have some questions about what I'm reading in verse 20. So let's entertain a few of these questions. The first question may be being this. Is Jesus now telling the disciples that a small amount of faith, it was maybe no faith, now maybe a little faith, is he telling them a small amount of faith is all that you need? Because I seem to have some contradiction here in this text. So do they only need a small amount of faith? Is that what he's telling them? And to me, the answer is no. I mean, he's using an analogy. He's using something to illustrate a point. I mean, essentially, Jesus used the smallest of the seeds, the mustard seed, to make his point dramatically. But simultaneously, he balances his rebuke, his remark, with a little measure of optimism by promising 
that even just a little more faith that they need, then they could move the mountain. Which maybe then leads to a second question to ponder. Does Jesus' reply mean that we need to have more faith to have our greatest wish, our greatest desire to come true? Just a little more faith than the size of a mustard seed would give us our greatest wish to come true? And again, the answer to me is no. The statement to have faith like a mustard seed, you'll say this is the amount to move from here to there, it will move. Nothing shall be impossible for you. It's not suggesting that our greatest dreams and wishes ever to come true. Yesterday afternoon, we had all the cars parked up here. We had cars parked way up on the grass. We had cars parked up there by the road. We had cars everywhere. Well, my cousin come to me and he said, Kurt, you see that Tesla? I said, no, man, I didn't see that Tesla. Does anybody know how much a Tesla costs? I mean, it's not a $10,000 vehicle, right? I mean, it's not a $16,000 truck. I mean, it's a rather expensive vehicle. So we may be, I'm using an illustration to think about how we might be someday thinking, boy, it should be for us to have a Tesla. I mean, it should be nice for me to have that car. The doors raise up. You can't even find a door handle on that thing. They just raise up. They open up. You get in. You take off. That's how it happens with a Tesla. I mean, to me, my dream would not really be about a Tesla. I mean, I could get me a brand-new one-ton Ford four-door truck, four-wheel drive, $80,000 to $100,000 vehicle, and I would think, boy, but my dream just come true. I don't care about a car. Give me the truck. Do I have an amen? All right. The truck is where it's at. Big old monster tires on there. Get about five miles to the gallon. Yeah, on a good day. That's highway. That's not city. Yeah, not with the air on your right. So am I reading the scripture to say, so Jesus replying here, but just a little more faith is what you need in the size of a mustard seed to give that greatest wish to come true? The answer is no. I mean, faith is not a particular substance. The more of what you have, the more of what you can receive or accomplish. I mean, simply, faith is not a gift of magic that can be manipulated in any way, shape, or form. Rather, faith is believing. It's having confidence that God can and will do things. He has the power to do it according to his will. He will accomplish it. That's what faith is, believing, trusting that God will. He has the power. He has ability. So it's not that it's a wish that we could receive upon a little more faith like a mustard seed. But then there's a third question I must entertain. The third question being, can true faith in a little more like the size of a mustard seed we need to have, can that true faith literally move that mountain? And the moving of a mountain then is literal. Not literal. It's figurative. Jesus often speaks in hyperbole, and this happens to be one of those moments. I mean, if I was standing before Mount Everest, I look up at the mountain, way up there, right? I look and say, Mountain Everest, move over there. I mean, it's preposterous to think it's going to happen. 
So it's, it's figurative. It's not literal to think that that mountain will actually move. I mean, I can't even think that Steve's tractor will move that mountain or that Chris will team together will get that mountain to move. So it's figurative. But the question then is figurative for what? Figurative for doubt. I mean, what stops moving mountains, rather literally or figuratively as it pertains to our faith, is the doubt that begins to occur in our life. We understand that doubt, doubt in our life, which often happens rather quickly when things begin to happen, is ineffective faith. Or maybe it is defective faith. Notice how doubt begins to happen as soon as we see a situation we're in, a life moment, when it happens to be bigger than us, doubt seems to creep in. It takes away your faith and therefore the victory. But do not let the enemy take your victory away from you. Remember, nothing, absolutely nothing is impossible with God. The angel Gabriel voiced these very words to Mary. In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, she began to question, how could she possibly, a virgin Mary, how could she possibly conceive a child? It's not humanly possible. Gabriel responded to Mary. In maybe the moment of doubt or question, nothing shall be impossible with God. Jesus expressed the same words as he spoke to his disciples about the kingdom. They're always confused. I get confused sometimes with the words of the Lord, and I have to have help. The disciples were confused. How can a man, a rich man, if a rich man can't get to heaven, how can we all get to heaven? When Jesus began to explain to them, it would be easier for the camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Which even these are more perplexed. But Jesus looked at them in Matthew 19, verse 26. And said, with man, this is possible. This is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And I thought of Sarah. I thought, you know, she laughed at the possibility. When she was visited by the Lord to have a baby at her old age, she was going to be 90, y'all. She will be 90 years old, and he says, you're going to have a baby. And she laughed about it. But she's rebuked. In Genesis 18, 14, and was told, is anything too hard for the Lord? I mean, the point of thinking about these instances in Scripture is that nothing is to be considered impossible with God. God makes impossible possible. It proves that when God steps in, miracles happen. Don't doubt that miracles still happen. Keep the faith. Miracles are all around us. Miracles are full of scriptures, full of miracles. Whether it's the healing of the blind man named Bartimaeus in Mark 10, whether it is the healing of the paralytic at the pool in Bethesda in John 5, John 5 was the healing of the centurion's servant from his sickness in Matthew 8, or any other healing in Scripture. You have to believe that God can. Man cannot, 
but God can. All things are possible with God. It's what makes miracles happen. Disciples ask why they can't do this. Jesus begins to explain to them. They need a little more faith. If you will, the disciples like us had to be reminded of God's awesome power. They had to remove the doubt like we have doubt at times that begins to creep into our lives during any difficult moment. I mean, faith is believing that God can accomplish anything that man dreams to think is impossible. It may be impossible by man, but not impossible with God. God can and still does perform miracles. And it's Miracle Sunday. Do you remember our definition we had earlier of the miracle? One was a surprising and welcome event that is not explicable by natural or scientific laws and is therefore considered to be the work of a divine agency. That's maybe a definition you can find in Webster's. My definition may be more simple that it's just an act of God. It's an event or happening that leaves no doubt that a divine intervention has occurred. Again, a miracle is something that when it's humanly impossible. It's humanly impossible to explain what has just occurred, what has just happened, other than God acting at that moment and making it happen. Years ago, when we lived in Texas, Sheila had a co-worker named Ginger. Ginger was having a baby. When you're having a baby, you know, you always go to the doctor, you get the ultrasound done to find out how the baby's doing, right? But she was going about her normal routine during her pregnancy to find out how her baby was doing. The doctor looked upon it earlier and found it was going to be a boy. Upon the routine visits back to the doctor, the doctor seemed to be just a little more somber, a little more serious. Like there was something wrong with the baby. The heart was irregular. Something was defective. In fact, I told Ginger, the baby not, may, may not make it. There's a complication that exists. Well, Ginger, of course, is heartbroken, right? She comes back to Sheila in a, at the business they were in. It was a great Christian business, family business that we worked for. So the good thing about that was they began to pray over Ginger. Began to pray for Ginger to have the baby, for God to work this miracle. The doctor said, he's probably not going to live. Prepare yourself for the fact that this boy is not going to maybe be alive when you have this child. They began to pray. Prayer is an odd thing sometimes, isn't it? Sometimes you wonder if God's really listening. Could he hear us? He knows. But Ginger, in her condition, what she heard from the doctors, and doctors have a lot of insight. I mean, they're medically trained. 
and they're knowledgeable. So Ginger began to believe that, that perhaps the doctor could be right. I need to prepare myself. I have to prepare myself for the fact that my little boy that I've been waiting for may not be alive. It's a horrible thought. But Ginger began to process things and thinking that I need to prepare for the fact that my baby will be dead when he's born. So I got to prepare a casket for that. So Ginger began to have a casket made. Small little casket, of course. And she determined the baby boy's name was going to be Cruz. And so she had this casket made with the name Cruz attached to the casket to identify this newborn baby that was going to be born dead, as the doctors had told her. But yet, they continued to pray. Well, towards the end of the pregnancy, then, we don't know what's going to happen, right? The casket's ready with the, the name attached to the casket with Cruz, but they continued to pray. So during the moment that the baby was going to arrive to earth, for her to receive the child. The baby took the cry. The baby's crying. It's alive. So the miracles happened. The prayer was effective. But you know what she did with the casket? She tossed the casket aside. She had the name attached to the casket. She took the name and put it up the crib. It was a miracle. The doctors had said the baby would not survive the birth. But the baby survived, still healthy today. Cruz is a healthy young man. This occurred many years ago. We've been in Indiana for five or six years. This occurred before we ever moved here. Miracles still do happen. Miracles still occur. A miracle occurs when there's no chance, no possibility. But your faith that you cling says, yes, it can happen from the power of God. I know that God still is an awesome, mighty, powerful God. He can and perform miracles. He can do it. He has the power. Now listen to me. Make sure you hear this too. I'm not saying your faith guarantees a miracle. No. Your faith does not guarantee a miracle. But rather, your faith is believing, trusting that God can, if it is his will, to do so. It is knowing that God has the power. He can make it happen if he so wishes, if it is desire. And your faith has just have to cling to that God can do it. I mean, it may seem absurd to the world. From their point of view, it can be accomplished if God so determines but it can truly work that way. But to the world, skeptics still remain. I mean, have you ever noticed that those skeptics sometimes are all around us? When man, woman, human beings, people says they just it can't happen. It won't happen. They say you'll never recover from your addiction. You can't you won't overcome cancer. You won't walk again. Your marriage won't last. Your baby will not make it alive. You can't, you won't, whatever. 
There's skeptics all around to say it won't. I won't. It can't happen. But God says, I can. I have the power. I have the ability. It can happen if God so desires, if it's his will. It can happen. Miracles still do occur. And it's up to us then, as we look into this text here today, to believe in that power in God. I mean, it is what moved the stone from the sepulcher and moved it away from the tomb to allow Mary, Peter, and John that ran to the tomb to recognize that Jesus had risen. It was a miracle that occurred. So what may seem absurd to the world's point of view can be accomplished if God calls it to happen, if it is his will. The world says you won't, but if God says you will, you will. That Believing, trusting in God, his power, in the midst of a difficult circumstance, not giving up, is effective faith. Effective faith is believing, trusting in the power of God, that he can do all things, that nothing is impossible with God. I told you earlier that this message come to me weeks ago. I didn't know when, what shape, form it may materialize into being. But through the week, it became more evident that we needed to hear this message, that maybe somebody today needs to hear because the world says, you can't, you won't. And there's a new song that recently came out by Mercy Me. I love the group Mercy Me. I love to hear their music. Their new song is Say I Won't. And it happens to be a video which we can look at today as a bit of a conclusion to find out that sometimes people say we can't, we won't. And it's like this guy named Gary Miracle. What a name. Gary Miracle. You're going to see kind of his life unfold before you and the tragedy that occurred. You're going to a little bit of information, but you're going to see that while people say that he won't, he says, I can through God. We can do all things through God. God gives Gary the strength. He gives each of one of us the strength in the most difficult moment. And it's up to us to keep our faith in that moment of difficulty. We're going to queue up the video so you can see what I'm referring to. My name is Gary Miracle, and on New Year's Eve 2019, I was airlifted to a hospital in Orlando, Florida. And I fell into septic shock, and 107 days later, I came out of the hospital, and I had lost all four of my limbs. Today, it all begins. Seeing my life for the very first time through a different lens. Yesterday, I didn't understand. Driving 35 with a rocket inside, didn't know what I had. While I've been waiting to live my life. 
say I won't because he knows all things are possible with God we must keep the faith there's only one fill in the blank in that post that you may have picked up this morning and you can fill in that blank 
when the world says you won't. Fill in the blank. Whatever the world says you cannot do, you keep the faith and you tell them, I can't, but God can. God can, and nothing is impossible with God. And I believe. Keep your faith through the midst of any circumstances. Your faith is not guaranteed that miracle will happen. But your faith will keep you focused on the one who can. Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for Resurrection Sunday, Lord. We thank you for the great miracle, the fact that Christ is risen. It's meaningful to all of us, Lord. It's a great miracle in which we see that we have hope. It provides hope for all of us. But Lord, today we entertain a message as the world tells us that we can't. Well, we know we can't, but you can. So I pray for each and every one of us today. In whatever situation brought us here today, Lord, in the midst of maybe a circumstance in life in which it's becoming difficult, the journey of life is not easy. And, and the world will tell us we can't, we won't. I watched the video of Gary, Lord, where he, he'd been told he won't walk again. But he knows all things are possible. So let us take that to heart here today and recognize that we need to keep our faith in you and that you have the ability, you have the power, you can. Let's receive that message today and apply it to our lives right now at this moment, on this day, when the, one of the greatest of all miracles occurred, when our Lord rose from the grave. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.